0: Hello, I'm Matt Quinn. Thanks for joining us for Decision Point from Ivy Publishing at the Ivy Business School. With us today is Nadine DeGance, an Associate Professor in Managerial Accounting and Control and Sustainability at Ivy. Nadine shares with us her experiences as an early career academic and case author, the elements of a compelling case, how teaching, research and practice blend together and using teaching notes to create a safe space for difficult conversations by sharing promising practices. We wrap up our discussion with the advice that Nadine wished she had received when beginning her case writing journey. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, First of all, thank you very much for joining us today. I know it's a busy time as we're getting back, uh, getting prepared to go back to the classroom in one form or another. And maybe that's where we'll we'll start is the classroom. Can you talk a little bit about your journey from an HBA student to an assistant professor, you know, as it relates to your journey through the case method? How did you learn to write your first case? Are there any major things that you've picked up along the way that were kind of aha moments?
1: So my, uh, my experience at Cases, yes, indeed started with the HBA program and, and massively shaped the case writer that I would become. And uh, I would say it's probably an, an emotional link to, to the cases that I remember most vividly. And I reflected uh, in the process of case writing, you know, what stuck with me from my own HB, and and a case that stood out was uh, Merck, the pharmaceutical company, and uh, River Blindness. And I remember it being such a heated discussion and spending the time after that class reflecting so deeply on it and thinking to myself, what really made the difference that day with that case in that class was the issue was something I cared about. And the preparation I had done, as a result of really caring about the case and its content, uh, made all the difference to how I came to the classroom that day. And then being quite, quite uh, riled up after the case discussion and reflecting on it uh, really deepened that experience to me. So those were, those were ways I um, I thought about my own case writing, in, in wanting to, to create that kind of experience. Uh, the 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 desire to prepare extensively and intensively, uh, the excitement to come and discuss with peers on issues that we care about, and uh, and then to think about it afterward and to re- to reflect on on what you know we use the word often enough now in education on what that transformative or transformational experience was, and so that in hindsight I think I'm far more articulate in what. On in what I took from my HBA to my case writing experience. Uh, but it centered very much on the, how do I want students to feel? Because uh, I remembered so vividly how I felt about that case.
0: Now, are there things like when you, you get inspiration from the news, is it social media? Is it the research and what... Uh, do you get the, the kind of like the spidey senses going off that you know I feel something for this, or I think a student could feel like what is it that uh, that stands out for you that prompts you to write a case now? Like what is it that uh, really grabs your attention?
1: I read so much news and, oh, okay. and quite quite a bit across uh, across many sort of geopolitical and geographical regions, and that comes from you know, growing up in 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 Trinidad and. And my parents and family live in four other countries and now having done schooling in Canada and the UK. So I stay quite close to news in many parts of, of the world. And and I get quite excited about many things that come up in news. But I think one thing that I had to settle myself with is I needed to also feel like I held some expertise in the thing that I, uh, that I wanted to write about in the classroom because it, it would... A, be a whole lot more work if um, we just took the thing we were very excited about and tried to write the case on it. Uh, and, but, uh, but B, you know, we only have so much time and resources. And so with the time and resources that I have, how could I be really impactful really quickly? And so I think that shapes very much you know, what I pick up out of the, the financial press that still then aligns very closely with the things that I have studied very intensively.
0: Mm. and that kind of leads to my next question because you you talked about the expertise and you know to me that uh, that brings up questions around research and and in your view you know how is research teaching and, and practice related or tied together and what's that experience looked like for for you
1: and um, and so already was predisposed through my research to be interested in the field and what was happening with practitioners but then being true to the academic, trying to think about what that meant conceptually and what that could mean theoretically. And so my, my research goes from the empirical to the conceptual. But when I came to case teaching, I wanted to start with the conceptual and the theoretical and then find the empirical settings that I uh, felt would bring that to life. And and keep that uh, that sort of symbiotic relationship quite quite close, so, so that it would always be sort of dialogue between the academic research, the practice, and the pedagogy in the classroom. Those three live very very closely, and, and necessarily so because I feel for you know, an early ac- early career academic, I am so short on time.
0: Well, time how do you make this work because you know there's pressure to publish and i really like how you said you know what uh, what style of research that you have so there's a, a relatedness to case writing and narrative as well but there's pressures and there's only so much time how are you balancing the pressure to publish research with the case writing and you seem to be doing it really well what is your key to success here
1: really early on we received an email uh, one of those general emails from the Center for Teaching and Learning that encourage uh, early career academics to write a teaching philosophy, hmm. and it occurred to me I, because I, I wrote that teaching philosophy. I wanted to be quite clear on how I wanted to occur in the classroom. It occurred to me to also write my research philosophy. I, I imagine a good mentor might say suggest that one do that, but the the beauty of writing both your teaching philosophy and your research philosophy is figuring out the Threads of connection, and getting quite quite clear on prioritizing those that have threads of connection, and and that's what, that's what I on entirely. What are my priorities um, in in the context of both research and teaching, uh, and then just as well service? So I say often enough, my world is EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and ESG, environmental, social, and governance. I live with uh, two very clear you know, acronyms that that. Populate much much bigger worlds, but it helps to keep me focused um, between the two biggest parts of my um, my my work.
0: So what I what I'm hearing in that that I really like, and it's something that you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, you pr- you took the time to prioritize and then made a very concerted effort to look for the links, or like you said, those threads that link these things together, and then and then focus on that. Um, Maybe, you know, from a practical level here, how do cases complement traditional research or or journal articles? What are those threads that you've noticed in your career?
1: I I said earlier that I'm an interview-based researcher. I'm also historical. Mm. Uh, So when I studied executive compensation, I studied the rise over 30 or 40 years in the British context and I love history. I think a subset of my students also really love history. Uh, but most students want to get the, the bits and pieces that are very, very relevant to what's going to equip them for the their jobs, careers ahead of them. Uh, what's going to help them be quite critical thinkers in, in the many different spaces they're going to populate in months or years to come. And so I have to, I I f- often find myself thinking about uh, not only what I love, but but what the many different uh, types of learners would also enjoy. And so we have to reconcile our research to that, that if we wanted to have an impact uh, in the in the higher education and then society writ large, that we have to be versatile. We have to be malleable. We have to think about not only what excites us, but what excites our students, what excites practitioners about the research that we do and distill it. You know, the the academy can feel quite disconnected from practice because we operate in uh, spheres of jargon and and very peculiar specific language. And we don't we don't need that to to well we we certainly should be quite careful that it doesn't close us off from being parts of discourses that should be connecting us. Um, And so I think it's sort of situating myself in the many different ways that students, practitioners, colleagues learn, uh, dialogue, debate and finding myself flexible with my language. Now, that's possibly where bridges have to be built between distilling what is in the academic research. And then to, to what can be quite highly digestible in, you know, white papers that I enjoy doing. I love the three to five pages. The, I can also love the 10 to 15. I probably will not write 75,000-word thesis again in my life. Uh, but that's the core of my my knowledge. So it's just thinking about how do I lift out from there to connect to as many conversations, vibrant conversations, because the more people we have access to, the more feedback loops we get on the research questions that we're most interested in uh, and the more dynamic research can be and the more impactful research can be.
0: So when I hear you talk about that, there's a few things that I'm writing down and, and listing down as things that are really important for not only research, but cases. So relevant, digestible, Uh, For the case you already mentioned, exciting, and and it brings up a feeling for you. Uh, You know, it's important for you to take the perspective of the student and what might be important for them or different ways of learning. Are there other things that come to mind that are really key elements uh, that make for a compelling case? You know, there's a lot of new case writers listening to the podcast, and I'd love for them to leave with, you know, with your perspective of what they should think about for making a, a compelling case.
1: You know, I said exciting because that's the sort of perpetual optimist in me, but I also do a lot of work in very upsetting spaces. And, and I would say, you know, I studied executive compensation, not really recognizing that the thing I was more broadly concerned with was inequality, income mm-hmm. inequality and social inequality. And so when I'm writing to this topic now, it's how do I create this space for us to have these difficult conversations? recognizing that they're very scary, uh, a number of them. You know, when you think about contemporary issues, social justice and injustice, equity and inequity. These are pervasive topics. What we're going to do with our environment? What What is it going to mean to include the a widening participation of students in higher education? And so when we... Think about bringing those topics, and necessarily should be thinking about bringing those topics into higher education. This is—I still romanticize higher education as a place where we can debate uh, ideas and ideology, uh, and do so with with uh, content that will be upsetting. But how can we do that uh, craftily and with care? And the case provides that opportunity because you can set the stage and have the dialogue, and uh, and so. What I think is possible uh, is uh, is a d- kind of deep connecting to the to to social uh, to the social to society um, social context just as well, um, and and that that's enormous possibility uh, for the incredible amounts of research that I see my own colleagues doing in this space uh, and what they could bring to to the case. I think cases maybe haven't touched them as much as they could have historically. But we have a moment now, and there's rich, extensive amounts of research on a host of issues and possibilities that should be making their way into cases now.
0: So is that is that the key? you you mentioned you know sometimes you know you're dealing with upsetting things, difficult conversations that you're really encouraging them to happen in the safe environment of the classroom. You know is the key bringing in more of the research, bringing it to bringing it to light in a case context? What have been your methods for not, not overcoming the upsetting part of it, but handling it appropriately in a case? What, what's been the key for you uh, to do that?
1: So, when we turn to these, the empirical realities of cases, they can feel very local. And research, especially research done at cross sectional, longitudinal, cross geographical, gives you the global. And so research creates that incredible opportunity to map that empirical local setting to global, uh, if the case in itself is not contextualized in a global way. And and, and I liken that to when you think of the upsetting, it's upsetting for an individual, for the self. And that can feel like a very absolute thing sometimes for our Mm. students, but that should also be mapping to systems Uh, broader systems of inclusion and exclusion, marginalization, uh, and, and, and not. And so when I'm thinking about the conversations that we have between cases and research, I'm thinking of the possibilities between that local and global, and that self and that system, recognizing that selves aren't always perfectly reflective of systems, but they aren't detached or disentangled from them either. So this is the complementary pieces of of both of those those worlds blending.
0: And is that uh, do you do that not only through the case, but how are you managing that in a teaching note context?
1: I think the possibilities are immense in the teaching note. I I think my sense is that there is opportunity there for us to create uh, more. More uh, promising practices, I think, is the word, uh, st- staring clear of, of best practices, because I think that there's a lot of learning that needs to happen in the space, and we need to create the space just as well to make those mistakes and learn from them, uh, and better dialogue, I think, between case writers around what the promising practices have been for them, and what is the kind of language that we can put in. And I, I you know, I, I hesitate to say sort of off the shelf, but I think there's a, there, they're probably going to be language that we can take there will be language we can take off of a shelf and put into our teaching note because uh, there is already emerging lots of promising practices around what it would mean to build an inclusive classroom what it would mean to restore dignity if it's lost if a if a comment comes out and just lands badly uh, and and that's often not you know the intention it's a different situation if it was intentional we deal with that differently but as long as we try to give a little bit of room for, let's say a student or a lecturer, a case facilitator, to take a second go at something they've said. I think if we provide those kinds of steps and bits of advice and teaching notes, it gives people the confidence to recover. Because case discussions, uh, for those of us who've, who've taught with cases know very well that you don't have a class go the same way, even if you're teaching the same case they have a life of their own based on the 75 people you have sitting in front of you cuz they're bringing their lived experience they're bringing their knowledge base uh, and so in that regard you know what is replicable is the advice we give about kind of bringing calm to a space or restoring what i consider to be sort of respect or dignity in a space those bits we can we can put into teaching notes that's that's promising practice i think
0: I like that you mentioned that it's a safe space, not only for the students to explore, but also for the person at the at the head of the class, the person presenting the case or moderating the discussion that, you know, that should be a safe space for them as well, because there will be stumbles, there will be mistakes. Uh, uh, but I really like that you that you mentioned that. So, you know, the I guess a, a follow up to this is, you know, as things are continuing to evolve, and I, I really like the the notion of promising practices, well, that's going to continue to change. So as should the teaching note know, like should we be going back and and as authors looking at cases that we've written before going, "Hmm, what's the latest that we can bring to this teaching note or the case? What are your thoughts on uh, evolving and and updating cases?
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm thinking of that for my own case. And I've learned so much about myself in this past year as I've deepened into my research on EDI, for example. And and wanting to take that back to my my executive compensation and ESG case to think about well I'm talking about mining and mining as an industry hires uh, is the largest sort of employer of indigenous peoples in Canada for example in what way have I been thoughtful in contextualizing that reality uh, and and so there. It should give us pause, I think, as we come to learn more and know more about ourselves, our, our expertise and our, our teaching pedagogy, uh, to have the opportunity to feel like that's very accessible, that going back and adding a few sentences, uh, another resource uh, for ourselves and others, right? Because we release our cases into the world. And and so while we might think, oh, I'm, I'm updating my, my notes for myself, I think we have to consider that we have a responsibility for all, all educators that pick up our... Our cases and our teaching notes, and so I would love to do better. I haven't, I haven't gotten there, uh, and so maybe then the conversation has to also become: How do we make that easier? How do yeah. we make the teaching note feel um, easier? Uh, and also, how do we provide the kinds of additional content that that facilitators, case writers, lecturers feel able to to pull those into? into their teaching notes and I just I just love the idea of open access and, and free resources in the context of equity to pull that into uh, teaching notes, teaching materials.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, you know that's kind of a call to action to us that uh, in, in publishing units or publishing companies or the industry as a whole, you know you, you did ask the question, what can we do to make it easier? What can we do to bring in some of these other resources and it's something that we're actively asking ourselves, but you know admittedly can can do better. Now, one of the things that you mentioned it leads me to my last question here. Uh, you know, you really give us a sense of the the writing journey and the journey that you've been on. You just talked about it in the journey of publishing a case and learning more and, and, and revisiting that. You know, if you had any advice for those again just starting out um, on their case writing journey, you know, what advice do you wish that you were given uh, at the outset? And you know, what would you like to impart upon the listener?
1: I'm so glad I had an opportunity to reflect on this question before because I, uh, it's not sort of the most complimentary view of myself that I jotted down. In fact, because the thing I'm quite picky about is writing. Uh, And, and I, I'm I edit in my mind, other people's writing all the time. I'm reading a newspaper article. I'm editing it. You (laughs) know, whether I can change it or not, uh, that, that's, I would say it's one of my strengths, but it's also then a weakness because it means that nothing ever feels perfect, nothing feels complete. I would carry on editing a case to the end of time. So I think there are two points to that: deadlines, whether given by someone else or self, um, is pretty essential in the case writing journey. I think the second one is you have to be quite then uh, quite picky, is the word. Uh, If you were to go ahead with you know, a a case writer or a co-author, because while I might prefer editing uh, a draft and not a blank page, uh, it's something different when you feel like you're fundamentally rewriting. And because a case, especially if it's a personification of your research, and that always is quite personal, at least for me, my research is very personal. So then my case becomes quite personal then you have to align well and do a bit more due diligence on matching yourself up with someone who writes in a way that you don't feel like you're fundamentally rewriting what they what is likely good work but their style not your style and so those kinds of uh, tiny you know bits of investment in upfront could make for a uh, different case writing experience and, and you know, I said it already time and resources always feel so so limited and you're already trying to do this incredible thing of bringing your research into the case so that would be the sort of logistical thing get, get yourself some deadlines get others to give you deadlines and then be quite careful it's not the word but be sure to do the
0: due diligence uh on on whether you're well aligned with a co- co-author no that's that's great advice Thank you so much for for taking the time. Uh, you know i've I've circled here on my page these these promising practices, and I'm gonna bring that into, you know what we do at, at ivy publishing because i think it's a great way of looking at things that's showing promise it's showing that the things can evolve uh, you know that we're going to be reflecting on some of the practices that that we're having here and from you know from the team i know you've been doing a, a number of pieces of work with members of the team here at ivy publishing around uh, esg and, and edi practices and i just want to take the time to thank you for those efforts because as you just mentioned Time is limited and you have been very generous with the time that you've that you've given to our team here. And I'm looking forward to seeing some of these things uh, coming out into the community and really having a positive impact on, on the students, the authors that we work with uh, worldwide. So thank you again.
1: Well, you're very welcome, Matt.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe to Decision Point on Spotify or wherever you listen be sure to check out the show notes for links to cases, resources, and more. Have any feedback? Send us an email at cases at iv.ca.